welcome to the show. I'm Nick Dixon. Today we have a very special guest, Mr. Andrew Bridgen, who is an MP with an incredibly successful track record when it comes to winning elections. Yet, as many of you will know, he was recently suspended from the Conservative Party due to his remarks on vaccine harms. He was also smeared by Matt Hancock, which is one of the worst things that can happen to you in the House of Commons and also on Twitter. Hancock, the former health secretary turned reality TV star, called our guest anti-Semitic, very unfairly in my opinion. And now Mr. Bridgen is suing Mr. Hancock for defamation, which pretty much makes him a national treasure in my book. And obviously there's a lot more to his story than that, but that's enough to get us started. So Andrew, thanks very much for doing this. And let me ask you about Matt Hancock firstly. I mean, and let's start with the whole tweet. You, you put out this tweet about vaccine harms and you said, as one consultant cardiologist said to me, this is the biggest crime against humanity since the Holocaust. And this got you in a bit of a pickle for making the analogy. I thought you were very brave to stand up and mention vaccine harms in Parliament, not just mention it, but do a whole speech. And then I thought this tweet, full disclosure, I was slightly critical of you. I, I was very much on your side, except for the analogy with the Holocaust. And my argument was, this just gives an open goal to people who are already inclined to be antagonistic towards us, us meaning people who are sceptical about the COVID narrative. And I thought, although I'm totally with Andrew on this, did he have to mention the Holocaust? Because now he just makes it easy for them. Do you have any opinion on that? Well, I did take the tweet down. Uh, and I, you know, Anyone who was genuinely, genuinely offended by the imagery of comparing the vaccine harms uh, to the Holocaust, then, uh, of course, I apologise to them. But, you know, this is a very serious matter, which is being ignored by the mainstream media consistently, as, as we all know. Um, and... Uh, there certainly was an amount of frustration there. I'd, I'd given that speech in Parliament to the adjournment debate on the 13th of December. It had got no coverage in the press. Uh, I put out a, a press pack. I think there were 32 scientific papers and journals I referenced to back up all the facts in the 20-minute the speech. Uh, it's got no media coverage. Um, the good news is that about three days ago, uh, on social media, it had hit 10 million views um, of of that speech. And I think we set the criteria. You had to have watched it for at least 18 minutes of the 20 minutes to qualify. So uh, it did get a lot of exposure, but clearly it's still being ignored by the, the main mainstream media. Um, but, I mean, you know, who, who actually came and attacked me over my remarks? I mean, you know, Matt Hancock, former health secretary, Sajid Javid, former health secretary, Nadeem Zahawi, party chairman and um, and former vaccines minister. I mean, um, they've certainly, uh, you know, they've, um, they've they've got some skin in the game, haven't they? Yeah, fair point. And um, you mentioned the, the point there that you got 10 million views and Project Veritas was saying the other day, James O'Keefe was saying, someone said to him, well, the, the mainstream media has ignored this video. And he said, well, who is the real mainstream media? Because this has 20 million views. So where the mainstream now? You know, just because the Daily Mail has taken it down. So, yeah, you might have a point that actually the people have seen it. And um, maybe we're too harsh with this sort of gatekeeping on our side. I say our side, the normal people's side. Call it conservatives, call it whatever you like. But basically, we sort of have to worry so much about what we say and who we're associated with. Have you noticed this? Whereas on the left, you can just, you can have well, diet. I, I mean, quite, quite honestly, I think I've been on the radar for a long time. There's been a, you know, there's been a smear campaign against me for more than 12 months. So if you, if you listen to... Uh, go and look in Hansard, what I said in the Plan B debate, how Omicron was uh, basically a cold, uh, all the evidence from South Africa, there was no need for any more lockdown measures, no more restrictions, I voted against the masks, I voted against the mandates, I voted against everything that night, I think four votes against the government, 
Uh, I think my card's been marked for for quite a while. I did I did finish that speech off by saying the only pandemic we've really been suffering in this country is a pandemic of fear, and it's got to stop now. Um, and it's 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 not it's not it's not incompatible that you know I've had a lot of negative personal attacks against me over the last uh, twelve months and. I think, quite honestly, I would have been suspended from the party at the time for walking on the cracks in the pavement if uh, if it hadn't have been for that. What I will say is that um, although the tweet was controversial, I've had an, an awful lot of uh, support from the Jewish community, not only just in the UK but from around the world. And I don't know, um, you probably haven't seen it, but I mean, yesterday, um, a letter signed, I think, by 27 leading doctors Jewish doctors and scientists from around the world have, have written in, in very straight terms to Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, demanding that I'm immediately reinstated and emphasising that those who falsely accuse people of anti-Semitism um, actually diminish uh, anti-Semitism. And, and also they stated that uh, in, in terms that, you know, the removal of free speech is the first sort of uh, sign of a totalitarian government, which is it's clearly something that's very, very close to the Jewish community, and they wouldn't want to see that happening again. So it's a very interesting, uh, interesting letter. Um, I'm sure that uh, we can supply you with a copy for putting out with this, uh, this broadcast, if you like. Yeah, well, I did see it on your Twitter, and I have no doubt. And I've seen on on the Daily Skeptic, we've covered many people who, who Jewish people, etc., who have defended you. Absolutely, I spoke to a Jewish colleague I know who is extremely aware of, of anti-Semitism. He's been very vocal against Jeremy Corbyn and people like that. And he's, he, if there was any anti-Semitism, he would see it. But he said he didn't love the comparison because he was, rather it wasn't brought into it. But he even said it wasn't anti-Semitic at all. Which... Well, it's interesting. I, I actually attended the, uh, the Holocaust memorial service last week in uh, Portcullis House. And, and it was a, a, nice, a nice service with various speeches from various... Uh, or, or, or statements from from people who've been involved in various genocides around the world unfortunately um and at the end i was uh, I, I was uh pounced upon by uh, ben block from the jewish chronicle their parliamentary reporter and we had a great discussion and you know and, and his his view was um it it may have been many things but it certainly wasn't anti-semitic yeah well, I agree with that. I, mean, I don't know how much. Well, you of course, can... of course, oh. now it's gone. It's gone legal, so I can't really talk too much about uh, the action against uh, um, Mr. Hancock. Uh, I think the ball's in his court. He's he's got his um, letter before action. He's got some time to respond. Um, but if I if I go much more into that, Nick, uh, uh, my legal team will probably jump down on me. So okay, people will be relying and on, on, the on the great British justice. Okay. Well, my understanding, yeah, you don't have to comment, but my understanding was that he, he tweeted it was a bit of an issue because you can say certain things in the House of, House of Commons, there's certain protections, which there are not on Twitter. And, I mean, do you, can I ask you, do you think you can win it? That's, that's all. That's an okay question, isn't it? Uh, obviously, the advice we've had is that we have a strong case. So, I mean, I wouldn't be pushing it if I didn't think we could, we could win it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's also a point of principle that, uh, you know, um, it, was a, it was a bit rich. By, by Mr. Hancock coming out and doing that, um, yeah. I mean, he's 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 not had a good week. I mean, he's been accosted several times by the public, and I would like to say that I, I would implore whatever they think of Matt Hancock not to accost him in the street or cause him any distress or 
place themselves in a situation where they could be arrested. Uh, but what I would say, Nick, is that the difference is that wherever I walk, whether it's in northwest Leicestershire or even coming to this studio, um, I'm not accosted by people. People stop and shake my hand and say, well done. It's, yeah. it's quite it's quite a different public perception of uh, of my position and that of uh, Mr. Hancock. Yes, well, exactly. Don't cause Hancock any distress in the street. It's distressing enough being Matt Hancock. And uh, I, if I could add my subjective, non-legal opinion, I would just say, yeah, I mean, you're going to... I mean, I think you'd probably be pretty popular. But I also think Hancock, in my subjective non-legal opinion, was just trying to grandstand because he's been in a bit of trouble himself. He was trying to use this as a way to sort of boost his political career. That's my humble opinion. So you, you did point out in a tweet as well, you mentioned Zahawi there. So Nadim Zahawi has just been, well, he's been sacked from the job as chairman, but he hasn't actually lost the whip. So you were sort of comparing the treatment of you. Well, he also, also uh, would have had a say in, in whether I lost the whip. And, and, and all that losing the whip business is... is is a bit of an enigma wrapped up in a mystery. Um, so uh, just to fill you in, I mean, um, I received a text, I think it was that Wednesday morning, I think, f from uh, from Simon Hart, the chief whip. It said, oh, ring me urgently. So I rang him and uh, and basically he, as soon as I, I said who I was and what he would have seen off the phone, he went into a little bit of a rant for about two minutes about anti-Semitism and everyone's complaining and uh, I've overstepped the mark and um, this and that and the other. I mean, I could almost, I could hear the sort of, nearly feel the spittle coming out of his mouth while he was uh, on the phone to me. And I was, you know, perfectly calm and said, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and he said, you know, you're immediately suspended and we'll, we'll be in touch. And then he fired a text through about two seconds after he put the phone down on me, which clearly he'd pre-prepared. And it's all about anti-Semitism and, and everything and... and how upset everybody is and the complaints he's had. It doesn't mention anything about my position on, on vaccine harms at all. Uh, and, well, I mean, it left it about 24 hours. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it was really like, you know, you, you ring the bell, the, the Pavlov's bell of, of anti-Semitism at anyone, and, the, and they come out slathering, even if there's no food to be, uh, if, even if it's not anti-Semitic. And, and, you know, there was various attacks on me from various colleagues, um, and then I, you know, I just let it. Uh, we, we just put it out there that actually the paper I was quoting was uh, from the uh, the Hebrew University of uh, of Jerusalem, and that the the originator of the paper that I had quoted with the quote um, said that you know, obviously um, he was Jewish, and he said that in no way is any part of the statement um, anti-Semitic, and that has been sort of. I've had I've had dozens and dozens, of, if not hundreds, of, of letters from people of the Jewish faith from all around the world, uh, who've 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 supported uh, my right to free speech and concerns over over the vaccine harm. So then the sort of it then it appeared then that the sort of anti-Semitic thing sort of died a death, and uh, and then the party shifted to it's it's about my views on vaccine harms, which is which is a different kettle of fish. I mean. As an employer of a number of staff in Parliament and in the constituency myself, and I mean I've, I have employed when I was in business uh, up to 300 people in, in my company, you know I, I couldn't suspend you, Nick, if you worked for me and say, Nick, there's 10 pounds missing from the the petty cash, and I think you've taken it, so I'm suspending you. Find out that uh, somebody's taken it to go and buy some stamps. Uh, and then say, ah, well, I'm changing my mind. I'm going to suspend you because you were late yesterday. You know, it just really doesn't work like that. But, I mean, it would appear that uh, 
the rules of the Conservative Party and suspensions are malleable. I think it's malleable mm. is, is the phrase that I would use. Yeah, malleable. so they want to get rid of you and they, they find a reason. I mean, when I read the Chief Whip's statement, I can't recall the exact wording now, but it, the sort of offence part seemed like definitely a side issue. He definitely was focused on the vaccines. I don't know if he used the phrase. Yeah, well, I, I, can show you, I can show you his alleged reason for suspending me, and it doesn't mention vaccine harms once. It's only talking about anti-Semitism and racism. Right, whereas the public statement went on about the vaccines. The vaccines are great. Yeah, yeah, love yeah, the vaccines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's not what he told me, and, and, and he even put in his text, as per our conversation. Yeah, okay. So, well, I think we've covered that. I think, we, I think we've covered that pretty well. I mean, while we're talking about party politics, so what is the future now for you and for the Conservative Party? We all know it looks as though they're going to get smashed in the next election. They're not representing voters. I happen to know people who work for the party who are going to vote reform. No one seems to, no one's going to vote for them. You've had an incredible record personally. Well, it's, it's, well, where we are now with our policies, I mean, you've got, you just can't recognise this as the Conservative Party of, of Mrs Thatcher. Um, we've, Gordon Brown would love to have been in charge of a government that could have got a budget through um, a socialist as the one that was, was passed only, well, the, the, the uh, economic statement only a few weeks ago. Um, you know, and it, this all comes down to serious mistakes that were made over the pandemic response, the cost of the lockdowns and the furlough scheme, which were unnecessary in my view and should never be repeated. And that's why we're in a, an economic mess. And our leeway has been taken away, which now we've got the highest taxes since the Second World War. Uh, big government. I mean, it's the antithesis of, of everything I joined the Conservative Party to achieve uh, all those years ago. Yeah, and the IMF is saying we have to bring taxes down, but Rishi Zunak's saying you're an idiot if you want to bring taxes down. Oh, why? Why would anyone want to take their boot off the back uh, back of the neck of the uh, of the worker? I mean, yes, I mean, we wouldn't want that, would we? I mean, this is ludicrous. Of course, as a conservative, we should be promoting low taxes, small government, and uh, and we, you know, we can talk about that all we want to. But it's at the end of the day, it's it's about deeds, not words, and we've not delivered it. Um, yeah. Will it affect you know, your own? I mean, what's going to happen then? With I don't know. I'm not so big on the rules of like. What are you going to be able to do yourself personally? Are you going to? Have I mean, to... If, if we had a snap election any time soon, if the government collapsed, I mean, I couldn't stand for the Conservatives. Just I've not been readopted, and even if I had, because I now have not had the whip, I couldn't be a Conservative candidate at the next election until I get the whip back. Yeah. Uh, I know there's been a lot of there is pressure coming on from some of my backbench colleagues and from the 1922 committee, who basically are the union of conservative backbenchers um to the prime minister's office and the chief whip and of course the prime minister will have had the letter from the uh, eminent jewish doctors and scientists demanding that i'm immediately reinstated um well we'll have to see see what happens i mean we've been i've been promised there'll be an investigation but i mean when i mean 2027 um mm. i don't know it could be you know i don't know i mean there are lots of ways to play this game as long as they keep me suspended um, um, I can't really do anything. Yeah, um, sort of like Jeremy Corbyn. They're just going to keep you indefinitely suspended. You think and just play it out like that? Well, I hope not. I mean, I, I would hope that you know some some semblance of justice will have an investigation, and and any allegations against me will be found uh, groundless on on the racism, anti-Semitism. You know, I, you know, I, I employ uh, staff from ethnic minorities, and you know, it really, you know. I'm, one of my members of staff were basically crying for two days because, you know, 
you don't like your boss being accused of that sort of thing. You know, it's just just horrendous. I mean, yeah. they don't think about what they do to to your staff or your constituents when they make make these sort of allegations. Yeah, well, as you implied earlier, this is the new tactic. I mean, we had we just seen Sturgeon, who's in a massive mess over her mad trans policies, saying, well, anyone who's against this policy is homophobic, misogynistic, oh, and, and racist. They just throw in these terms. It's the well, there was some good there was some good tweets went out, not from me, but I mean, you know. One of them I seem to remember was uh, from somebody sent out. There was, you know, Andrew Bridgen has stated he'd got concerns over uh, vaccination, experimental vaccine being used on six-month-old babies, and the answer at least was racist. You know, um, yeah, madness. I mean, they don't seem to like winning either because you're someone who has won massive majorities since I believe 2010, and you 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 kept increasing your majority in your seat. I believe it was a Labour seat for 13 years until you. And, and the and the council is, is uh, the seat's coterminous with the Northwest Cheshire District Council. The Labour Party had control of that for, well, I think since since its inception in 1983, I think. So, yeah, we took uh, myself and a group of friends, mostly small business people in the area. We decided to reinvigorate the Conservative Party. I was told that by the Conservative Party that Northwest Cheshire was unwinnable. Uh, so I had to use my own funds to to fund the campaign, and I ran the uh, I ran the local election campaign for the the party in Northwest Leicestershire Conservatives in uh, 2007. Uh, we had a full the first time we'd ever put a full slate of candidates up, 38 candidates for the district council, and we fought a proper campaign. And after decades of Labour control, we took them down to five councillors out of 38 in one night. Biggest swing in the country to the Conservatives uh, in a seat which David Cameron had described as uh, unwinnable yeah. and, uh, and was quite derogatory uh, about, about my seat. I think he thought I was some parachuted in candidate, and uh, not that it actually was my home. But of course, I was selected as the Conservative candidate in 2006 by a, a, an open primary so it was the local people who decided who they wanted as their conservative candidate so that was you know that was quite good i think but we we in, in the 2010 election we turned uh, four and a half thousand labor to seven and a half thousand conservative 12 percent swing that was the second biggest swing in the 2010 elections um it went up in 2015 at the end of the uh, coalition government and the fixed-term parliament to uh, 11,200 majority and in 2017 despite the best efforts of Theresa May's manifesto I still managed to push it up to 13,300 uh, and having led leave for the East Midlands and delivered uh, was it 41 59 leave in the East Midlands and in my own seat 61 39 uh, sorry uh, yeah then um, I, I got um, a majority of 20,400 in 19, 60, 63% of all the votes. Not bad. Sorry to interrupt this serious and important episode, but we have a quick word from our sponsor, Thor Holt, who I know is a big fan of Mr. Bridgen, by the way, and he's also the man to go to for help with your business, career, salary negotiation, etc. There's very little Thor can't do. He's helped me with the business side of my podcast and Substack, I'm still not sure of his exact job description, but that's because, as Thor tells me, profits beat wages every time. He's also a top bloke, and if you're the kind of person listening to a show like this, he's definitely your kind of guy too. So connect with Thor at linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt and mention Nick Dixon. 
You can also find Thor on Substack, but not with a name search because he's not for normies. Instead, enter thorholt.substack.com. So once again, linkedin.com slash in slash thorholt, and it's T-H-O-R-H-O-L-T, and Thor will help with all your business and related needs. Now back to my interview with Andrew Bridgen, MP. Yeah, they seem to have given up on winning, though, because Boris famously is good at winning elections, whatever you think to Boris, and they got rid of him. Well, Boris, Boris, Boris spent, if you actually look back over the, the, the clips, on, on either referendum, Boris came to my constituency and we, we walked up Market Street in Ashby de la Zouche in my constituency. That's when I told him, and we were hot-miked up, that we were going to win. And, and, and Boris didn't believe we were going to win, and I assured him we were, and Boris told me, no, it'll be close. And I said, well... Not round here. Not round here, it's not going to be close. And why have um, you been able to be so successful? Is it because, I mean, you mentioned like Thatcherism, and sometimes I think you, you sort of running your constituency as a, some sort of like libertarian autonomous zone. You, you talked about, I think, freezing the council tax for 15 years or something. We've got, we've got well, what, what, um, what we've done in northwest Leicestershire with, uh, with my colleagues who are councillors, um, yeah, we've bought in proper pro business um, Thatcherite principles. So even though I would say that the Conservative government over the last uh, decade or so has not always fulfilled uh, the best Conservative principles. We certainly have held to that in in northwest Leicestershire. So I'll give you, you know, this is the seat which David Cameron said would never vote Conservative. We've got a massive majority, you know, a bigger Conservative vote than, than Whitney, which is quite interesting. So the Cotswolds must be fairly appalling if they, they're not as conservative as, as poor old Northwest Leicestershire. It was really the poorest seat in, in Leicestershire. Uh, it was, you know, my, my major conurbation is Colville, which is a gritty former uh, mining town. Um, and I mean, I remember when the pits shut in, in 91, we, of course, our miners didn't strike, Nick, so we broke the strike. So we had the worst of the picketing. So I can remember that from school and university days. I mean, it was pretty brutal that the picketing of the South Derbyshire, North West Leicester and Nottinghamshire coalfields. Um, and, you know, at the end of the, the, the mining industry, when, when the pits were all shut, I mean, there were parts of my constituency that were analogous to the sort of the, the Somme battlefield. There's nothing more sad than a, than a disused colliery. Uh, but there were two, two great conservative policies that came in at that time, which really set the course and the first one was the building of the M42 which is uh, a major sort of east-west communication link which runs through northwest Asia like a spine and lots of junctions so it's 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 useful um, and the other thing was that on top of the old coal field coal coal mines and the the slag heaps and the reclaimed land from the open cast um, we had the new National Forest was centred on northwest Leicestershire. It goes into South Derbyshire and Charnwood next door. But um, probably about six million trees were planted. Well, they're about 35. Some of those are 35 years old now. Um, and they're looking very, very good. So we've got about 20, 22, 23% tree cover now in northwest Leicestershire. Um, so it's a beautiful place to live. And what I said was when I got elected uh, was that I wanted to make Northwest Leicestershire a better place to live, to work or to visit. And as you said, we've got um, we've never put council tax up since the Conservatives took control in 2007. That's the long, according to the Library in the House of Commons, that's the longest council tax freeze in UK history. So for 15 years of, 
of council tax freeze. And how have we been able to do that without cutting services is that we've, A, we've been efficient, but we've built new houses, good quality new houses. You know the, the building beautiful policy that the government have adopted? Well, we, we pioneered that in northwest Leicestershire more than a decade ago, and I presented it in Parliament as uh, we call it building for life. So not building, house, building houses, but building homes and communities and designing out you know, areas where antisocial behaviour could be seen, could, could occur easily by, you know, no windows overlooking a footpath and all those. Sort of, I mean, and we've really had, had a top-class team in the planning department. We've, we've built very, very good quality housing, and every project has to be better. And, and it started off as quite a culture change. I mean, the developers were putting plans in for around Colville, and they'd say, they'd get refused on an aesthetic basis, and they'd say, well, it's only Colville. And I said, well, that's the, that's the problem. It's not. We, we, we want good quality housing. And, 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 and we stuck to our guns and we've created an arms race of improvement, which now the, the government have now rebranded and called it you know, Building Beautiful. Well, we've actually been doing that for 10 years. And it's much easier to get applications through when the public might not want the extra housing next to them. But what they do know is that it will be an asset to the built environment, not some eyesore. Yeah, I mean, housing is a long-term asset. It's not just for the people who buy the houses. It's for future generations. And, and it's worth investing a little more in the design so that that's an appreciating asset, not something that's going to turn into a sink estate. And we just don't build. We've built, we've built about 50 new council houses. They are superb. We, uh, we've got all our council housing. I think we had about 4,500 council houses. We, were, we had the worst council housing in the country when we took over in 2007. It was 70% non-compliant with the decent home standard. That was the Labour Council for decades. I got some money out of the government and the council put the rest in. We now got the best council housing in the country. We, every house is up to the decent home standard. And one of the things I insisted on was that uh, you know, when I go and knock on people's doors... Why should I want to know that it's a council house? It shouldn't make any difference. So we gave every council tenant, because obviously one of the, you'll have noticed that one of the first things that people do when they buy their council house is they change the front door. So we gave, we gave every council tenant the right to choose their own front door from various designs and various colours, and they actually had the choice of, of what front door they, they wanted. And it's just lifted the whole area, quite honestly. So our council housing is up to quality. We've we became very pro-business. My seat is the centre of population of the UK, and it's the furthest from the CNA direction. We've got East Midlands Airport. I'm a qualified transport manager, and because of our communication links, the M1, the M42, I would say that half of all the jobs in North West Leicestershire are linked to logistics and warehousing and distribution, uh, because that's our strength. Our strategic uh, USP is that uh, is that we're in the centre of population and four hours lorry drive from our my constituency you can hit 80 percent of all the chimney pots in uk so it's a good if you're having one big shed and you want to deliver to the uk northwest leicester is where you're going to be so we've got some lots of jobs um we've got the highest economic growth in the uk uh we've got probably we've got certainly got more retained business rates from our new factories and expanded businesses than any other constituency in the country and it's probably a lot more so we've never had to put the council tax up and we've we've got the new homes bonus as well we haven't put the council tax up uh, and coupling all those things together there's now 1.2 jobs 
in northwest Leicestershire for everyone of working age, so we have to import people to, to work in northwest Leicestershire. We've currently got the 10th largest structure in Europe being built in northwest Leicestershire, which is Land Rover Jaguar's World Spares Hub. That's about another 2,500 jobs. That's not live yet. And when that goes live, uh, that's going to generate uh, about 60,000 a week of business rates. Uh, right. So it's three million square feet. It's, it's so three times bigger than an Amazon, if you can imagine that. And they're pretty big. Well, you convinced um, me you should be the next uh, PM. We should just and, and then uh, and on top of that, on top of that, in 2019 we topped the happiness index. And I sussed out what what, what it is about being happy, uh, because while I've been the MP, we've moved Northwest Leicestershire from the arguably the, the poorest and, and Colville, the most deprived town in Leicestershire, to uh, we're the only part of Leicester, Leicestershire, and Rutland now with above average UK salaries. We've built enough houses that our house prices are still 20% less than UK average. Well, I mean, that's the sweet spot. So someone can, someone can get, a, get a job, which is reasonably well paid. And then their partner can get a job that's reasonably well paid. Uh, they can afford to buy a house locally. Uh, and they can go out on a Saturday, pay the bills, have a holiday... And quite honestly, Nick, that's, that's, that's what most people want to be happy. I don't think they're asking too much. And in North West Leicestershire, working with my councillors, um, we've, we've delivered that. And, and I'm immensely proud that every time I go around my constituency, the houses look nicer, the gardens are better kept, there's nicer cars on the drive, and, and it's, it's a great place to live. I mean, it's, it's just uh, the quality of life is, is improving. And... Uh, you know, it's not all down to me. My, peop my, my constituents are really hard-working, salt-of-the-earth people. Um, but it wouldn't have happened without me. Someone once said the definition of hell is that after you die, you meet the person you could have been. Just think about that for a moment. Now, Harry Willis is a men's online fitness transformation and health coach. He's also a regular writer for the international fitness brand Techno Gym for all things stress, sleep, and wellness. He helps fluffy, body-shy, out-of-breath men become strong, focused, and unshakable one step at a time. For each of his clients, Harry designs bespoke nutrition and well-being protocols together with proven gym training routines that deliver results every time. Unlike other online coaches, he doesn't just email you a program and leave you to it. He's there every step of the way providing advice, guidance and support. You'll join an online network of people who have also decided to take back control and start the journey to realizing their full potential. There you can hear other people's struggles and successes, get tips and insights and support each other to achieve your health and fitness goals. Get in touch with Harry today on Instagram at Harry underscore Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S, or via his Linktree, Linktree slash Willis Coaching, and that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash W-I-L-L-I-S Coaching. Listeners to this podcast will receive a free zero-obligation 45-minute consultation to strategize their specific goals and needs. Just quote the big dog when you make contact, because that's my nickname on GB News, and no, I didn't write that bit myself. So check out Harry, guys. I mean, I do want to get on to COVID and lockdown and stuff, but a lot of people have despair about the state of the country, whether it's sort of mass immigration, especially since 1997, whether it's the economy. There's so many things, strikes. There's so many things we could list. But what is, just lastly on that, what, what do we need to do? I mean, do, do you have, you sound like a sort of optimist to me, but do you have hope for the country? Because, you know, Peter Hitchens is saying the country was lost long ago. I know many of my friends feel the same. Many people I Other speak people, to... The, 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 the... You cannot extinguish the, um, the human spirit for improvement. We all want a country that's going to be better for our children than it was for us. 
and we should never let go of that. And we have to, and we have to work work towards it. And yeah, yeah, I mean, there are elements in our parliament who certainly want people to give up hope. Well, I mean, the you know, the, the answer have, as as the mistakes that have been made by this Conservative government, and, and I'm not going to cover them up, and they are numerous. A lot of them, are, uh, the, the bad ones, are around our, our pandemic response. And what I would say is, you know, the, the sad thing is that the opposition parties were no opposition because because I voted against and some of my colleagues plenty of the lockdown measures and various points. We could have defeated the government had there been an opposition that didn't want more of the of the worst excesses that that, that have happened that have put us in this economic situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the answer is not the Labour Party. Clearly. Um, as I tweeted out yesterday with a picture of Keir Starmer looking particularly... With the mask. Strange, with the mask on, yes. That, that I can assure you he's he's neither safe nor effective. Yeah, absolutely. The, the masks were absolutely mad. I mean, I was against masks from the start. I wore one three times ever. I mean, I, I don't know, probably I can say this now. I don't think they were ever actually law, were they? I wore it in my friend's business when he kept getting the police visiting. I didn't want to shut down my friend's small business. I wore it twice in a GP when I really couldn't get out of it. I thought masks were bonkers. I personally thought the vaccine was bonkers. Maybe I'm sort of a natural outsider anyway. Maybe it's harder for you. You you had the AstraZeneca vaccine, then regretted it. You voted for the first lockdown, but against subsequent lockdowns, if I'm correct. You voted for the mandate for social care workers to have the vaccine, which you also regretted. Yeah, but, I regret that one. Yeah. And so what but was I the voted pro- against the NHS and the masks and the Plan B. Well, that's good. I mean, and it, yeah, so, you know, we're not expecting everyone to be perfect, but you, you've done more than most MPs. But you, you, what was the process for you? Because... It seems like you, you, you know, you had this realization. People call it being red pilled on the internet, and you, you, you went with it at first. Then you realized. Uh, well, I mean, Einstein says that you know his one of his statements is that when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, Nick? You know. Yeah. Um, the, the fact is that we were we were fed a lot of propaganda, uh, and you know, Parliament wasn't working properly. We were we were locked down like everybody else. That was that was less than far less than ideal. Um, and you know, I be, I was made aware of of problems with the vaccines, and I started looking into it. And the more I looked into it, the more concerns I had. And um, I should have spoken out earlier. Um, however, politics is not about always about when you speak out; it's when you can win. And when the government started at the end of November, the beginning of December last year, the MHRA promoted that. The vaccine should be approved for use on children under five down to six months of age. I knew that that was an issue where even the most pro-vaccine of uh, people, I could probably persuade them with my arguments that there was no benefit to small children from having this experimental vaccine and I could win. And, and, And given that the government will never give me the credit for it, but following the speech on the 30th of December, where the government policy was they were they were going to be looking at rolling this out for babes in arms to the policy announced last week, the policy change of nobody over 50. And I'll, I'll have a little bet with you. I'm going to give another speech hopefully next week, which was based on government data, which will completely demonstrate that the that the boosters are of no effectiveness uh, and, and not value for money and indeed cause far more harms than their, than their, their sorting. And nobody should have had a, vac- uh, a booster and nobody will should have a booster in the future and i'll have a little wager with you that the government policy of only over 50s and, and vulnerable groups is a stepping stone a stepping stone down from that policy and i think within 
within four or five weeks from now, nobody will be having any more vaccines. Right. Yeah. And that's that's wow. That's 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 bold. But yeah, it, it, you are going to be. I said in a piece I wrote, you are going to be proved right in the long term. But you've got to go through this thing. I mean, you're someone who. I mean, you fought the post office scandal for twelve years. So you're not the guy that you want to be on the other team. I mean, you're going to obviously fight this vaccine thing, but it could take years. But at some point, people are going to have to recognize these vaccines were not as effective as claimed. They, they cause more harm than claimed. But in the, in the meantime, we've got to go through this strange maelstrom of like everyone lying about it and people like you being victimized for saying it. How do you see it playing out and how long do you think it's going to take? The public are waking up pretty fast. Um, yeah, I mean, I think was it George Orwell that wrote that... Uh, in, in a you know when there's universal dis- deceit e- even the act of telling the truth is seen as, as being revolutionary well I mean we, we're almost there aren't we Nick I mean yeah. uh, and the, the the deafening silence from the I mean I, I, I've become a bit cruel with the mainstream media to be honest I mean there are there are quite a few journalists in the lobby who uh, I think are quietly sweating. I think they know exactly what they're... I mean, I've been to them and said, well, you know, I've got some data here, government data. I can take you through it. It will prove beyond any reasonable doubt that there is no point to the boosters. No one should be having this. Do you want me to take you through it? And then the answer was, no names, no pack drill, but no, I don't want to look at it. I said, well, what about a free press? And they said, well, in that case, I'm free not to look at something I don't want to look at. (laughs) Uh, And and they said, well, you know, and they said, um, you know, I'm not looking at it. And, you know, I, I put that uh, tweet out yesterday, that uh, video of the uh, the guy called Josh, who's speaking on behalf of the actuaries, the life insurance companies in America, and studied all the, the, the death rate, the increased mortality rates, and he put that against the, the number of um, injections, mRNA in, experimental injections taken per state, and they they calculate it all up, and let's face it, actuary's job is to predict when we're going to die. If they get that wrong, they don't make any money, potentially, um, so they need to predict that, and those figures are very clear, that there's a clear correlation across the United States between the uptake of vaccines and uh, re- uh, increased mortality, and they, they calculated out that for every jab you've had, you put 7% on your uh, on your mortality rate. Wow. Um, if if you were over fifty and you've had five, you you've thirty five percent more chance of, of of sadly passing away, and that was borne out by the figures. They also looked at the UK data, um, and I put that out to BBC, ITN, Sky, Channel Four, and then followed it up and said, look, you know, I'm willing to go on your program, be interviewed to, to defend this data, talk about the the clear link now between uh, vaccines and uh, increased mortality. And um, you can put up whichever expert you want. We can debate it. And um, not one of them came back to me. The best I got was Gary Gibbon on Channel 4, who said, I will pass it to the news desk. Nobody else, nobody else would touch it. But, I mean, we are, it, you know, this, the silence on this issue has, uh, is contagious. And um, as I've said in my speech on the 13th, I'm rather hoping that courage can be contagious as, as well. And that now we're going to have, you know, we are seeing more doctors, more scientists coming out. Uh, more healthcare professionals, and we need some politicians, some more politicians. I'm feeling a bit lonely. Yeah. And there's no reason to be, because I will be proved right. The argument's there. The yeah. science is with us. Well, and, and millions of people are with you, but like you say, you, you're feeling lonely amongst your peers. And that, that brings me to a question of, why do you think all this happened? We, we, don't want to get, we don't have to get too conspiratorial, but, you know, some people think everything's run by the WEF. Some people, everyone has various theories. These is it is did Boris just panic? 
Was it because Cummings was panicking? I don't know. I, I'm, I, what I'm really interested, Nick, is that we, you know, the vaccines have been a mistake. Uh, the lockdowns were a mistake. The vaccines are still harming people. What we need to do is stop, stop doing any more harm. I mean, thank you know, thank God we've managed to stop them injecting small children. All the evidence I've seen is that the younger the people who take the experimental vaccines, the more prone they are to um, serious, very serious adverse events. Uh, and, and obviously they're going to carry those events for a lot longer because they've, they've got all of their life in front of them. So we've managed to stop them. Um, but now we need to stop it all together for all age groups, and we need a full investigation. And we're going to need we're going to need resources and and effort to finding the best solutions to the damage that's been done by these experimental vaccines. Um, I'm I'm I've, I'm convinced there's a there's a whole cohort of people who've been so badly damaged that they'll never be able to work again. And, and for me, we're going to have to go after. Uh, these um, big pharma companies because they're going to have to pay for all the harm that their products have done. And if you're misrepresenting, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no release from that. No matter what assurances the government have given them, you know, normally, um, I mean, we were told they were 100% effective, and and they weren't, and and they were going to stop transmission. They didn't. Um, I mean, normally when you, you, you sell products that uh, don't do what they're supposed to do, you, you get a refund, don't you, Nick? That's normally the way it works. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very strange that people suddenly love Big Pharma. When I grew up, we sort of mistrusted these things. That was fairly normal. I've seen clips with Bill Gates saying, yeah, the vaccines can give me a massive profit that nothing else can be. That's a fairly straightforward well, remember, As I said in my speech on the 13th, Big Pharma have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to create profit. They have no fiduciary duty to you, me, or anybody else to provide us with safe and effective medication. They don't have, that's not, that's not a duty of those companies. They're, they're not, they'd have no duty to be benevolent. Yeah. Uh, and their history, I mean, you know, if you... Many people will remember the, the, the thalidomide scandal. I mean, it was something when I was growing up. I mean, horrendous. I mean, you know, I'm, the company behind that, we had a, a big court case in the UK, which they resisted. Uh, and when, when that came down, that, they, that the harms that were clearly being caused by thalidomide, I understand that the company involved changed the name and continued selling it in other countries for up to 10 years after they knew what it was doing. I mean... This is immoral, and I think you know you shouldn't be surprised at you know that that video that appeared from that director of research and mRNA technology bragging off about gain of function and oh, yeah. how they how they've captured the regulator because it's populated by people who work for us for a few years, go and work for the regulator, then come back to us. And I I would suspect they're not coming back to Pfizer for any less money than they than they were on at the regulator, probably more. Yeah, but I mean. You know, I explained in my speech on the 13th how we've got into this situation. I'm trying to be more positive now. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether the government agree at the moment with the... Um, as far as the public are concerned, we've won the argument. What, we, what the people now need is, is guidance and leadership of how we're going to get out of this awful mess. And it, it is wider than just the pandemic. Uh, it's, it's our economic situation, the loss of civil liberties. I mean, this is... Uh, it's turning into a country that I don't recognise, and I know that nobody in North West Leicestershire voted for this. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to resist it with every fibre of my body. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the, on the harms, I mean, I found out my nephew and niece had had the vaccine, which I was absolutely stunned by. It seems to be a more of a, it seems to be an ideological rather than a medical thing because 
you know, I noticed it depends. You can, a Remainer is much more likely to wear a mask or something like that, I've noticed. It seems to come down to politics very strangely. Uh, and although at the start it was different because very early on, people in you know, people on the right in America were worried about the virus. Then it, then it flipped the other way around. The left was playing it down. So it's always I, was been... out, I, went out, I went out to Washington uh, under my own steam uh, over Christmas and New Year, met with you know, some scientists and campaigners out there and some elected representatives on the Hill to see what they thought about what was going on. Because I'm not bothered. As far as this, it's a worldwide uh, scandal. It's a worldwide problem. Um, and it doesn't matter whether we stop it in the UK. I'd like us to stop it in the UK first and lead, lead the world out of this nightmare, this dystopian nightmare, or, or whether our American cousins uh, do it. And, and it doesn't matter where it breaks. It breaks. I mean, there's, I mean, there's currently some talk that... Um, that, the, that there's been a, an appalling situation where the king, king of Thailand, one of his daughters, has taken the booster and may be in a coma, and there's talk that Thailand may sue Pfizer. Uh, it only takes one country to do that and get the money back. Uh, and um, I'm, you know, there's a lot of people going to be uh, be doing that, and, th- and that would be justice as far as I'm concerned. But I was rather hoping that... Uh, our American cousins, that the maybe the the new world would come to the aid of the old again, but uh, I'm not I'm not sure that they're in a better political place as far as those who are sceptical or concerned about the vaccine harms than we are. So it might it might be left left for us, but certainly we're leading the way. I think in, in Europe. Um, yeah, it's but we have a duty to. I mean, this is about humanity. Yeah, as you say, we we were sort of slightly better. That sort of strain of English civil liberties and, and our tra- tradition of freedom kind of came through in the fact that we had a lighter lockdown, we got out of it sooner, Aus- Austria went completely mad, Australia went completely mad, America went mad New in Zeal- part. New Zealand went completely mad. Yeah, definitely New Zealand. And um, I'm get, I'm, You know, one of the reasons I think I'm getting an awful lot of support from the Jewish community and from Israel is, I think, um, sadly, I mean, their uptake of vaccines, They, I mean, they had about five. I mean, uh, you know, their excess deaths will be appallingly sad but they had yeah, an extremely they had an extreme pressure to take it in there because they had a sort of this covid passport type system that's the thing that really scared me early on i thought i'm not going to take this thing i immediately had to resign myself to just never leaving the country again if that's what it took because this COVID yeah, and, 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 people, and people have had children vaccinated <laughs> to visit people and to go on, on holiday them, to yeah. disney i mean i i just hope and hope that they just don't have any side effects from this experimental vaccine i really hope I hope that the children are spared. Yeah, me too. How far, just quickly on, um, how far is, is Brexit still an issue in terms of, you You were someone who, was, who wanted to get it done and we haven't managed to really get it done. It, it, what's, any thoughts on that? The fact that we still don't seem to have got Brexit done and we're still sort of controlled by no, the, we, we the blob. I mean, ultimately, the, the extremely wealthy elite um, decided they didn't they didn't want it and um so even though the people voted for it um which never been delivered we, we're still under eu laws and there's you know no sign of, of us either taking back control of our money our borders uh, and our laws so we're still under eu laws we're certainly not in control of our borders we can we can demonstrate that and uh, and we're still paying money so um none out of three um <laughs> i'd like to see um, a, a Kanzuk deal where we have freedom of movement with Australia, Canada, New Zealand, mutual recognition of um, qualifications and, and business qualifications. You could live, 
work, start a business in any of those countries without a visa, <coughs> and we're all under the same crown. But you wouldn't, we wouldn't be, be swapping laws. Um, when you go and live in their countries, you, you're under their laws, and if you come to our country, you're under our laws. That would open up huge horizons for our for our young people, and I think that that would, you know, be a better opportunity than going and working in France for for three months when you could, you know, span the Anglosphere, which spans the globe. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that, Andrew. Um, is there anywhere? Because I don't want to go over your time. Is there anywhere you want people to go? Your Twitter is a Bridgen, I believe. Is there anything you want people At to a. do? Bridgen. You've got yep. a petition, go I think. There and... Do you have a petition? Up again? Up, do you have a petition up about the the vaccine? We've got a, we've got a couple of petitions. At one's um, um, justice for Andrew Bridgen, um, and there's another one petitioning the government for an investigation into uh, the vaccine harms. All right, so go and sign those. Of course, you can find me at Nick Dixon Comic on Twitter, nickdixon.substack.com. And is there anything else you want to say, Andrew, before you go? Any, any message or anything? Cause... Well, I mean, this is, this is, I'm sure that we can speak again in the future. This, this, it's, a, it's a fairly fast-moving topic. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, this is the biggest issue um, in our lifetime. And it's, it's, it's not just about the vaccines. It's not just about the harms. I think this runs to the very heart of our our democracy and and how we want to live and the country we want to leave to our children and grandchildren. And uh, we've got a lot of work to do, I can assure you. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you.